Hi, welcome to Scratching the Surface. I'm Jarrett Fuller, and this is my podcast about design criticism and practice. Today's episode is a conversation with the designer and researcher, Emily Smith. I met Emily last month when she visited Baltimore to lead a workshop with Prem Krishnamurthy, a previous Scratching the Surface guest, for first-year graduate students here at MICA, where, uh, where I just finished my MFA. Currently based in Berlin, Emily's work is a bit different than the other guests that I usually talk to in that her work revolves around this idea of visual anthropology and deals a lot with research and education and really sort of lives outside of the traditional designer-client relationship and the kind of traditional design profession. But I think this perspective actually really offers a lot to the design discourse and, and she really brings some interesting new ways to talk about and think about uh, the work that we do. In this conversation, Emily and I talk about her background and how she stumbled into design, what it means to be a visual anthropologist, the role of research and writing in the design process, and how designers can learn more about anthropology and incorporate it into their own practice. I really enjoyed this conversation. It really got me thinking about a lot of things in new ways. And I really like how Emily's ideas are very process-driven. So even though uh, you know, we talk about theory and things like that. It's really rooted in how it affects the things that we make. And so I think that you'll also really enjoy and learn a lot from her insights. So let's get right into it. Here is my conversation with Emily Smith. And I, I think it would be helpful to start with just a little bit of your own background and kind of how you got interested in design and then kind of what you're doing now to kind of set it up and then we can start talking about some larger larger themes. I think, you know, my introduction to design was probably when I was in LA in the 19, early 1990s working in the music industry. Okay for promotional, kind of like I worked for a promoter um, and production. And I was sort of the behind the scenes person who would put these concerts together. Oh, yeah. And it was all the, it was all yeah. the Pearl Jam and the Jane's Addiction and the right. Nirvana and all of that kind of stuff. I was clueless. I didn't really know what it was. But somehow I was, you know, peripherally, there was all this sort of pop culture stuff that was happening that was yeah. design related. And then shortly thereafter, um, I sort of, did that watershed thing where you kind of close up shop. I don't want to live in a big city anymore. And I moved to the UP, to Michigan. Okay. And there I was involved in a community where we had a, I had a coffee house. I had a secondhand clothing store. I had a music okay. venue with my partner at the time. You would just like start we these just things just up? We just started making things. And we okay. had this big space. What else can we do? And this is mid-90s. And just because it had to be done... You know, I started making posters for the concerts or for the festivals that I was organizing. Um, I was dancing and I would, you know, I was teaching and I would do performance things and I would make the okay. flyers for it. And that's where I started to, like, I was interested in the programs at first yeah. and teaching myself the programs. And then I took a couple of classes at the university there to kind of learn it. And that was where I think the first time I set some text that, you know, to accept this uh -huh. thing, and I said it, and I said, oh, that's so Bauhaus, and I was like, what's Bauhaus? <laughs> I love it. And <laughs> so that sort of sparked this thing in, you know, in, in terms of typography. Yeah. That um, sort of sent me into, like, I want, like, I was older, I was in my late 20s by then. I wanted to know more, like, and I, I wanted to figure that out. I wanted, I wanted yeah. to... It felt like I suddenly stumbled upon something that could put my thoughts into, yeah. into form. Yep, yeah. Um, but I, it was a real stumble in a way. I had all this experience as a choreographer, and so I knew how to do that uh, with movement. Like I, the idea that you have mm -hmm. quality of movement, or you have you have you know space, and you know you have this language that you develop through the body and through movement and sound. Yeah. And you put this into the choreography, but like you can't make a living doing that. 
And I was at the right. age where I was like, okay, I need to make right. a living. And right. suddenly it seemed like this thing called, you know, graphic design would start to give me so like skills, but it also felt like it was about I was like it, it feels like it felt like choreography to me. Graphic design. Graphic designed it. it. The little pieces of it. Yeah. But also the the larger picture of it. The ability to make something very very clear and structured and legible, but also to be very associative and poetic and yeah. kind of put two things That's together that don't make sense. Um, I didn't come to that I didn't I didn't come to that thing until maybe four or five years ago. Oh but Interesting. At the moment, it was more like I just shifted and I was attracted to this thing, so I just did it. But yeah. I thought I was leaving one thing completely behind. And so, how what how did that how did you start to to do that, or how did you kind of dive into that? Then the design. Part, yeah. I I went. I decided to leave the Upper Peninsula oh, and go okay. back to Los Angeles and I looked at you know, I mean I literally I mean this is sort of the story of my life oh what could I do Cal Art Art Center right let's see where I get into and I got into Art Center and I didn't get into Cal Arts and uh, so that's where I ended up okay um, I was like totally waitlisted and they later on told me you know, yeah we weren't sure if you did should you, have been here did you have like a portfolio or like how did you apply the, por oh God, the portfolio was all the all of the like oh, like the posters, posters and stuff yeah. Been yeah. Making. I think the only reason why art center had a second look was maybe you know it was maybe that I was articulate yeah in the way I wrote about things you know okay. that I actually probably my captions in my portfolio were smart or that I had you know, I had this other experience in sort of political and Latin American, you know, sort of studies. I have a bachelor's degree in liberal arts. That okay, I was just going to ask kind of, you know, what were the things before that? Because you've now mentioned dance. Yeah. Yeah. You, you seem like you were, a, you were a good writer. Um, I went, okay, uh, yeah, so we'll go back. I Just to kind of like, no, frame, I just want to like frame it a little bit, yeah. I have a degree in Latin American studies, uh, okay. and I—that's where I started really getting involved in dance. Okay. And that was research, and right. that was writing, right. and okay. it was—it mm -hmm. was—it was bachelor level theory. Um, but once I finished that, you know, I kind of landed in Los Angeles. Like I didn't really see where that was going to take me. Yeah. Together. So I think probably Art Center saw that I had taken these different routes. That I was obviously like mm -hmm. smart. Mm -hmm. Um, that I had a creative understanding in terms of choreography and dance. Yeah. That I had organized things, you know, that I had some sort of administrative facilitating kind of quality. I don't think they were particularly impressed with my design right. skills. Okay. Were you thinking at all about kind of making a career out of this? Or, or what yeah. were you thinking was... It's a good question. At that time, it was sort of the beginning of the internet. So, oh, yeah. so we're talking about 90, 98, 99, 2000. And I embraced, I mean, I thought, I'll, I mean, it was before human-centered design and we really, the interface. Right. But it was more, I was kind of interested in creating platforms, this sounds so cliche now, that would bring people together through creative output. So it was like... A group of the right. teenagers, teenage girls could pose things they were working on and somehow it would self-regulate and they would have this ability to yeah. have sort of a social safe space to create okay. teenage mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. stuff. And, um, and it raised questions of censorship or it raised questions of like could an algorithm you know, sort of somehow uh, facilitate that space. And mm -hmm. this is before Friendster, before right, right. Flickr, before, yeah. you know, Facebook, whatever, Snap, I mean, now... It's interesting. Um, but I also tend to have a short attention span. So, like, then the next, you know, the next sort of series of projects would okay. sort of jump into other kinds of things. I never really took to the programming side of a lot of that, but I think I still really like this idea of of systems and algorithms and creating things that that somehow um, spit out a result. Yeah. 
But that is totally related to me. That's the dance. That's the improvisational score. Okay, like making some sort of framework that then you can kind of yeah the um, play the, like around. The improvisational and... score is choose three things, create a series of movements, and then roll the dice, and they okay. randomly will come together, and that is the material yeah. you need to work with. Interesting. And it was the same thing. I liked the idea of you know like I created games where you had to like I Ching, John Cage oh, yeah. yeah. you know you know, it's sort of chance, make this thing right. happen and then deal with the consequences and make something out of it, which doesn't have a lot of, at the time, didn't have a lot of real world yeah. application. Was it, I'm curious about whether the work you were doing was kind of coming from this liberal arts background, was making this graphic design work even if even if the stuff you were making wasn't kind of commercially viable or something that would get you a job at you know like a you know kind of traditional branding agency or something was it intellectually stimulating yeah. to you at the time okay i had a i mean i had a really alternative education growing up okay i think sort of black mountainesque Oh, okay. Style cool. elementary school in a Th way. That already explains <laughs> so much. So I was much more comfortable with that interdisciplinary kind of conjunct, like 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 juxtaposition of things. Yeah. That somehow relate to each other. I mean, that feels much more comfortable to me than trying to draw. Like I'm very, I'm very, uh, I'm very suspect of. These like sort of linear narratives yeah. that are really clean and sort yeah. of drive in a in a specific direction and right. end nicely. Right, right. That's always been somewhat um, hard for me to do, and I'm, I mean, I think maybe had I landed in, I'm trying to think, like had I landed in architecture, or had I landed in product, or had I landed in somehow like in art, you know, like I think probably those things would have been the same strain, but there yeah. was something. Um, design had enough uh, constraints or enough expectations about what it is historically. Huh. I mean, we're talking, this is the 90s still, so right. it's like, okay, there's postmodernism deconstruction, and that just was yeah. sort of taking hold. Yeah. So you kind of could do these things and you didn't have to, you didn't have to worry about it too much. Like the concept of branding wasn't really set in stone at that right, point. Right, right. You were looking for sort of a unique form. Yeah. You were looking for something that looked different right and then how did that communicate you know you sort of you made it and then you analyzed it so how how did you end up in berlin you're in berlin now yeah how wh or what happened kind of after la yeah. was that right to berlin or, or how yeah, did you exactly. end up there and what were you i graduated uh in the end of 2000 and then i immediately went to berlin okay and uh i actually interviewed in LA I remember interviewing in New York and in London because that's what everybody did that's what right. you were supposed to do you right. had to like um, particularly I think LA I mean New York and London and I did that and then I stopped over in Berlin and immediately I was like oh I think I'll just stay here okay and great. it, it yeah. literally was like maybe I'll find like the whole job thing kind of was like well maybe I'll find something mm -hmm. you know and it was mm -hmm. more like I'd, I'd like to actually just live here talk about short attention span. <laughs> right okay right. I finished my degree I need to do this thing but as soon as an opportunity was sort of presented that maybe you don't have to do or you don't have to do the, this thing within the format yeah. that it's expected I didn't speak German okay and I landed, um, I landed, uh, fortunately, through uh, my, my application, landed on the desk of Prim Krishnamurti, who right. liked something that I did related to Tala Calvino. And okay. even though I didn't speak German, and it was an agency that was, you know, you needed to have some German, he convinced them to hire me. And having said previously, you know, I will not work in these fields. Mm -hmm. I worked on corporate branding for four years for a pharmaceutical company. Okay. Which to me was a really like it was like yeah I did I suddenly did exactly what I was like terrified to do or like avoided doing. In an interesting way, it was the right step because it grounded my practice. I had to kind of fully finish the circle. Mm -hmm. I had to uh, really think about 
the precision or the, the concise nature of an idea to talk to a client about it. And I somehow kind of got tapped into this particular, it was an entire rebranding of, of a very large um, pharmaceutical company. And they were really open. I mean, what we made was not that special. It was really not that special. Yeah. But I had never really done, you know, full-on, you know, corporate guidelines. And there I did an entire corporate guideline down to the minutest detail. And I benefited greatly from having had to do that. Yeah. Needless to say, I have not really done it since. But yeah. that same, there was something in, the, in that absolute perfection. I mean, I looked, that was a part of, like, that was then my... You know, my portfolio went from being like bad posters <laughs> right. to then, yeah. you know, being this cool Italo Calvino to being, um, you know, like like right. IUD yeah. packaging, yeah. like guidelines, um, which is a kind of a strange, kind of a strange circle. And that, yeah. and that company kind of dissolved. And then out of that, I, I somehow, again, stumbled into a friend that was doing exhibition design. Okay. And so that actually ended up being the core of my professional work. If you were to ask me what kind of designer I am, I'm a, I'm an exhibition designer. Okay. So we're landing at something that I didn't that I didn't you know I stumbled into again. Right. Right. And it was at a time period in Berlin where all of the major museums, and we're not talking art museums. It was like the Natural History Museum, the Technical mm -hmm. Museum, the Historical Museum. Um, that these museums had you know after the fall of the wall, you know, hadn't really right. had. Yeah. redesign yeah. and so I got to be involved at sort of the ground <laughs> level a number of museums and there was the introduction of there where suddenly I didn't have a client I had right. people who were experts I had like 20 paleontologists yeah. who were essentially explaining things to me and I had to figure out or we had to figure out how to make it into a form yeah together with an architect together with a media designer um and that, you know, that became, that locked it in for me. Like, yeah. then it all, like, everything started to make sense. So is that, I don't mean to, I don't want to rush your story if, unintentionally, but I'm curious, that now is starting to make sense in relation to what I understand of the work that you're doing yeah. now, you know, kind of in the research and kind of anthropology side. Is that yes. correct? Yes. So how do you... I have a series of questions around this that um, I'm going to ask you kind of at once and then you can okay. kind of pull them out and answer them however you want. Um, but I'm curious kind of how you, your, how you describe what you do or what you, you know, you introduce yourself and you say kind of what your job is, what is that thing that you say? And then the kind of second part of the question is uh, how does your work manifest itself now uh kind of in comparison to being a kind of traditional practicing graphic designer i am no longer a traditional practicing graphic designer okay i mean that's actually really clear i okay. at the end of the 2000s you know the early like maybe 2010 2012 is where i kind of said i'm i'm a little bit like i'm not really that interested in making the making okay. of okay design yeah i'm starting to change my mind and i need to figure out the new uh -huh. format yeah i am now an educator like i am now uh, I'm okay. a professor um i do a lot of research i do a lot of like i teach in visual anthropology context okay. i teach in design context i teach in you know architecture context or in curatorial context and i tend to either okay. look at this overlap between uh, uh the design process and methods yeah and a, a ethnographic methodology and okay. I'm looking at how those things overlap okay. we just jumped how did yeah. I get there yeah I have a couple one how did you kind of arrive at that and then again um, I'm a stumbler I okay. simply stumbled I okay. said I don't know if I want to do this anymore this design thing, this freelance design thing where I am working with, you know, really interesting people and I am 
translating it and putting it into this thing. Like I, I just kind of reached a point where I was actually tired of being a freelancer. Okay. Uh, th those kinds of jobs were also drying up because those in Berlin yeah. is, is poor but sexy. <laughs> okay. I would, was getting older. Um, and so I literally Googled Masters Berlin in English to figure <laughs> okay. out what kind of masters yeah. could one do mm -hmm. in English? And there was one about art and context, which I think was an interesting and could have been an interesting approach. And then the other one was this visual and media anthropology. Okay. And I did not know okay. what anthropology was. And um, the deadline had been postponed because there was a volcano in Iceland that stopped all air traffic. And so they basically, it was, you know, applications okay. were, were supposed to be due on Friday, but you were given an extra week. And I, then I was like, oh, that's like in two days. And so I, wow. again, yeah. Google, what is this thing? Okay. And again, I was waitlisted. And again, you know, sort of they said, you were really interesting. You know, we mostly look at people who are have an eth like a, an anthropology background, or we look at people who are um, visual practitioners, meaning with working within film or photography or journalism. Okay. We've never had a designer before. Hmm. Somebody dropped out. I got the, the, the place. It was perfect. It was okay. absolutely the the best choice I could have made to add to what I do. Yeah. And that I, you know, like then, like at that moment in that master's program, everything came together. Suddenly, you know, dance and choreography and improvisation okay. makes sense in yeah. in in this in this mm -hmm. qualitative social yeah. science, film theory, photo history, media studies, you know, in relationship to you know, something that is sort of traditionally documentary, but then I could just insert design as that. Like, okay, what about, what if we talk about type? What if we, instead of talk about the photograph, we're talking about layout or we're talking yeah. about the book or we're talking about display right. and the right. relationship between text and image. And suddenly all these things that I had been doing, same with facility, like what's the difference between facilitation and cooperation and collaboration, huge discussion in, in anthropology on yeah. this topic. And that was like, I, I, I ate that up. Um, all these little pockets of what I think I was interested came together in that field. So I have two questions, and these are going to sound very, very basic questions, but I just want to kind of like set the stage for kind of this, this next couple things. So I'm curious, one, just... I'm embarrassed to kind of even ask this, but what is, how would you describe or define visual anthropology? Mm -hmm. And then the second part is, what, what were you actually doing in your classes in this program? Or what, you know, what did all of that involve then? Okay. It's not a stupid question. Okay. Most anthropologists okay. don't know what visual yeah. anthropology is. So anthropology in and of itself is the study of mankind. <laughs> Okay. Where sociology looks at society, anthropology looks at looks at the sim single human experience in relationship to culture. Okay. And normally you um, you have like ethnographic practice, which is an embodied and embedded. You go and it's participant observation, and you spend a lot of time. Mm -hmm. You learn the language. You write. It's a lot of field note. It's very self-reflexive. Okay. And then in anthropology, you turn that into a monograph. So, I mean, some of my professors might kill me by simplifying it to this, but I think this is the accessible version. <laughs> they won't listen, hopefully. You turn it into a written monograph. Okay. And that written monograph pulls apart the cultural phenomena at, through the filter of somebody who is trained in the theory and the practice of anthropology. Okay. And the problem in that, of course, is like I, as the researcher, we're talking about qualitative things. Yeah. I, as the researcher, have a lot of like baggage. Personal okay. Baggage. Yeah. I was going to ask. So it's all like coming through your yeah. lens. Yeah. Which okay. is kind of like a designer, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right? That's where I'm getting. This is, I'm still yeah. figuring it out. Visual anthropology, like most anthropologists, like if the minute you introduce the visual, it gets even way more complicated because. The visual became something that as long as I could photograph it, therefore it must be true. Right? Mm. That if I can take a picture of it, then it's evidence. And 
there's there's something very complex about whether I visualize something or I write about something, and it's much easier mm -hmm. to be self-reflexive in one form than it is in another. Mm -hmm. The methods are the same, but when you move to visual anthropology, you're introducing a microphone, you're introducing a camera, you're introducing right. a film crew. You and then what happens is you start saying, well, what if we what if we actually conduct research and we make a film together? So I don't make a film about you. Instead, uh, let's go. The filming, the practice of filmmaking, actually helps me understand your your storytelling huh. method. For okay. example, mm -hmm. I mean it can take many different yeah. forms. Um, visual anthropology can also be looking at material culture, the visual. Okay, material that's culture. what I thought it. It can be that it as was, well. Was it, kind it's, of can be that as yeah. well. And both okay. of those things are really interesting to me. So if I were to do an eth ethnography. On Micah, for example, yeah, yeah. I would look at like, okay, what is it about the visual language that is produced here, and what does it say about this as a culture? Okay. What are the hierarchies? What are the you know the the what are the social exchanges? What are the priorities or the mm -hmm. expectations? What are the rituals? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Clearly, there's a Dunkin' Donuts ritual that right. happens here. You know, there's things right. that. Um, you observe by by participating. Yeah. But you also, you know, you can either tell these stories together with the what what they're called yeah. informants, which just sounds like kind of a strange thing. Okay. Or you, as you're a part of it, you mm -hmm. look at it. Right. So the education goes back and forth, and I drew I draw a lot from these these practices, like these methods, okay. and they are they're very simply participant observation, field work and field notes. Okay. And how is that any different than like, okay, you know, if you're working with a client. That was my go, next question. You, but if yeah. you're working with a client, you go in and you go question, 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 question. You right. observe, you walk around, you spend a day, you write notes and you leave and you think you understand the thing. And that was always really hard for me. We never have time to spend a year doing uh -huh. that with somebody. Yeah. Which is, but there, but it's the same qualitative mm -hmm. understanding of something. And those methods to get at that understanding yeah. um, have to include an understanding of your baggage. So even as a designer, to say like, I am uh, a you know a lover of Helvetica, and it doesn't matter what they're going to tell me, I'm still going to turn to this little base right. of like typographic, you know, right. pool. Right. I like this is what I know how to use. And if you can understand that that's your bias, and then you can go back to your client, which would never happen, and say, yeah. So I've got these typefaces. Yeah, think, yeah, you know? yeah. Um, design doesn't have that same, we don't have the space to do that, which right. is understandable. But I think there's something to be thought about. When I introduce it into the design realm, I think the idea of participant observation is really interesting. I mean, I, the example, it's like I'm going to do a project about synchronized swimmers and I could go and I could watch synchronized swimmers on YouTube and I'm fine. Yeah. Or I could go and take synchronized swimming classes for a couple months. Oh. Mm -hmm. Or a couple mm -hmm. weeks. Mm -hmm. And what ha and and what happens if I actually embody that experience? Will I design it differently? So rather than yeah. showing it, I actually have the experience and I can share the experience. Like those are some of the ways that That's when I so teach, I say Interesting. I, you know, and I, this actually was my learning moment at Art Center. I was doing something about gun violence, and the professor said, have you ever shot a gun? I said, no. And he said, you need to come back next week with a target practice. And oh, so I wow. went and I shot a gun. Yeah. And that to me was an embodied physical experience that I understood now the power of a gun. And now I can say something about gun control because I actually have a momentary deeper understanding of something right and I think as designers we have a tendency to do it with our Google searches right we might understand things with a you know with I think it's changing but it's like with interview with like the, the, mm -hmm. there's a lot of the qualitative yeah. research process from social science that's making its way into design right so were you when you were in these classes and in this program, what I'm interested in kind of your design background, how that was finding its way, if at all, into this kind of new field that you were suddenly um, working in. 
Yeah, my peers were all making films or or making photo series, and okay. I was making. I was interested in the relationship between text and image. Right, of course. And sometimes, you know, the text would I would I would work with people, and they would make the images, and mm. they would maybe make the texts, and mm -hmm. then I would think about the way they would come together, or I would write texts, and they would write and make images. Or sometimes it was, you know, I mean, it would sort of would play with that. Um, yeah. I think I was very, I mean, I, I think the one thing that my research has continued to follow is museum practice. Okay. And what happens when the design of an exhibition, you know, like the exhibition format as being the representation of cultural phenomena, right? Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter. It could be at the Jewish Museum. It could be something historical. It could be, yeah. you know, the, the work that's out in, you know, at a, at a design college. But these become representations of certain cultural right. phenomena. Right. And the design is the mediator of the representation. Yeah. And it shapes in whatever small way yeah. culture. We know this. Yeah. We know yeah. this. But yeah. when you look at it from a from a kind of more social science, you know, you start to you, the burden is there. There's a much heavier burden in terms of like what is it that you are reproducing. Mm -hmm. in terms of stereotypes or what is the unattended effect of what you're making like right. the ethical standpoint around around anthropology and ethnography is absolutely like it's at its highest level so yeah. there's a real burden that's placed on cultural representation and right. through and I was really interested in through design and it's this question again of like yeah, smoothness yeah, yeah. and bumpiness that the bumpiness that Prem Krishnamurthy was talking about introduces the reflexivity that it's there. It is a process that is yeah. that is faulty, or it is a process that is a juxtaposition of things that single people are making decisions about, and right. that that is problematic. Mm -hmm. But it also was really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I'm so. This podcast is kind of at a high level about design criticism. It's about how we talk about design. It's also about what we talk about when we talk about graphic design and, and what are the things that designers should be thinking about and kind of working through in their process. Um, and so I've talked to a lot of critics and theorists and writers and practitioners kind of about this. Um, and so I'm kind of interested in from your perspective, how does the work that you're doing and, and this type of mode of working, how can it kind of change a design practice or, or uh, the value of something like this can it bring to, to a design profession that largely doesn't always think about these things. I say we make a lot of crap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we make a lot of things that don't necessarily need to be out in the world. But so does every like every field does it. It's not yeah. it's not specific to design. I think um, at least in my education, it's trying to connect when you can, when which is much easier in an educational context, that what you're making helps you understand yourself as a, as a designer better. Mm. And so that when you go on to make things outside of an educational context, an academic context, that you understand that you are the author of some of these parts, and that it is there's an there is a somewhat ethical responsibility in terms of what you make. Yeah. And I'm not talking about the pharmaceutical company or like Milton Glaser's right, right. like Ten Steps to Hell. Right. I, it's more about I am a filter and. And it's not with, like lots of commercial projects. We don't. Yeah. I mean, we're not talking about that. But I think we're talking about we're making this surface thing that can be so seductive, and it can be so. And you know, how many things do we buy that we never read, or how many things do we? Mm -hmm. You know, the question of like branding and like things stop meaning things. The things stop having meaning because they're over branded. Right. And what is that actually doing to? our language or the way we socially interact with each other or the way that right. we, you know, the way that we, you know, yeah, it's sort of almost like the way that, the way that we move through the world as social human beings, mm -hmm. like what is design, how is design kind of 
yeah, yeah. watering down some of some yeah. of that. I mean, that's I guess I'm not articulating it very well. No, I mean I know it, I know exactly what you're talking about because I, something that that I've been thinking about a lot, um, and I completely stole this from the uh, architect Mark Wigley mm-hmm. um, when he curated the Istanbul Design Biennial last year. Uh, he had this phrase where he said that the whole this is not his exact language, but the basic idea is that the whole world has been encrusted in a geological layer of design and that there's no world outside of design anymore, uh, that we can't escape the effects of design. Um, and it's because of that, that, that we need to be thinking about these things that you're talking about. Um, and I think that's kind of what I've slowly started to arrive at through these conversations that I've had is that uh, you know, when I'm talk when I'm talking about design criticism, I'm I'm not talking about that surface level. Just you know, what does it look like? Is mm-hmm. is this logo better than the way it was before? Or you know, is this a good color to use for this thing? Yeah. But it's that thing below the surface, which is how is this affecting the context in which it now lives, or what was happening in the process of making it. And that ha- seems like it has much more uh, compelling discourse around it than just we staying are, at that surface level. Just on a material culture level, we are so conditioned by the design. It doesn't even mind the design that we consume. You know, we are so conditioned. And so then as designers are making more design, I think being really aware of how our you know, taste and our narratives and our... Yeah. Even our methods are shaped largely by this design material, this yeah. material culture. Yeah. And I, a lot of it points to right now, um, you know, students want to make the world a better place. Like, can design, social design, mm-hmm. you know, what can design do? And and quite often the desire is that design will show something rather than, mm. and I think this is the same thing, like, you know, the documentary, huh. like the National Geographic that goes, look, or the BBC yeah. special that goes, look. I mean, this is talking about sort of cultural representation. Anthropology or visual anthropology looks at these things and says, you know, this is surface. Right. Yeah, and, yeah. And actually what needs to happen is it might not look the right way, the mm-hmm. way you have learned that, like, you know, cultural <laughs> documentaries <laughs> look, it might be messier than that. And yeah. it might it might have, um, you know, real juxtapositions that we can't necessarily sort through. And I think when, you know, designers, on one hand, you know, we want to kind of come up with these invisible facilitating markers somehow that make the world a better place. And I'm, sometimes I'm thinking, before you can really do that, see if you can... You know, understand the thing and and make things that somehow struggle. I mean, right now it's the Syrian refugees in Berlin. Mm-hmm, Everybody mm-hmm. wants to work with the Syrian refugees. Yeah. But if they don't actually, if they don't understand that experience, right. Yeah. We can still make cool icons that will help them navigate a bureaucratic system. <laughs> right. That's right. great. But actually, it's not really going to function until somebody yeah. gets in there and actually can can be that bridge. And it doesn't mean a designer needs to be that bridge, but a designer could really do with bringing people in yeah. that can help yeah. them bridge those things. Um, you know, there's lots of those kind of really well-meaning right. kind of way that design wants to, you know, wants to help. But yeah. without some of that empathetic research that is not knowing what the answer is going to be right i mean it's all we all know this just in you know yeah like it's like it's sort of you sort of trust the research process it's just i i point to a research process that is actually like you know we have to suspend what we know mm-hmm. even about typography like i did a project with a group of teenagers from eastern europe from, from eastern germany from a tiny little town and the typefaces that they wanted me to use it was like like <laughs> I am the designer, right? And but I actually spent a lot of time trying to understand their design culture, yeah, and trying to understand why they were drawn to these things and what was the pop culture around it and what were they listening mm-hmm. to and 
and what was that you know that musical yeah. genre how that was attached to these motorcycles that they were driving i mean it just kept, it suddenly kept going and going uh, and going and then i suddenly had this understanding yeah. of what they were consuming was so very different than what i was like what right. i was my geo encrusted design layer of my world <laughs> right was so different than theirs but actually paying close attention to what they without that value judgment mm-hmm. taught me a lot about where they were in the world yeah, at this yeah, moment. Yeah. Which to be a teenager in Eastern Germany is like actually in small town Eastern Germany is a really tough thing right. at the moment. I mean that's that's something that that I've been thinking about a lot and has come up in a, in a lot of the interviews that I've done is that like we kind of need to move away from talking about design as good or or not good or you know, kind of, uh, like classic design versus, you know, outside of kind of classic design and, and look at it more in kind of a cultural context like that. And, and thinking that, you know, maybe things don't look like the Swiss modernists wanted them to look, but does that mean that it's bad design or wrong design if it's kind of you know, born out of or reflecting the vernacular of a culture that it's going to live in or come out of. When I was in L.A., um, I, I studied briefly with Denise gonzalez Chris. Oh, yeah. And she said, you know, San Francisco, there's such a learned, like there's the right and the wrong and the rules of design. She said, L.A. is amazing. Because yeah. It's all so, quote, bad Right. that you are suddenly freed up and it's sort of like this LA style, right? Yeah, yeah. And it, that's always really stayed with me because it's sort of it's sort of recognizing how um, how how conventional we really are, you know, stuck in a certain in a certain yeah. history. Yeah. And we can go shopping, you know, we can right. go like, oh they do that weird stuff over there and that weird vernacular thing and oh there's right. that crazy I right. stumbled upon this right. weird book at the thing and I can, you know, yeah. but that doesn't recognize that that, that that vernacular actually exists in a, you know, it, it, it has its yeah. universe. Yeah. That actually, if you go deeper into it, it actually, you will, you will learn something, right. Right. you know, and not just borrow or take something. Oh, right. You know, then there's that, there's, there's that. I mean, once you go yeah. down this path, you won't do any design anymore either. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's well, why it's much easier to, to like, you know, ask the questions. And yeah. I mean, and, that, and I'm starting to feel differently about that. And I'm starting to feel like, actually, I'm ready to, to, to make design again. But I think that my role in design will be, um, oh. it'll be very mm-hmm. different. And teaching in Germany is different as well, because I have students from 40, 50 different nations. And so I can't teach a German, right. like it's just not appropriate for right. me to follow. Like normally, it would be like the American education that I had at Art Center, which is already Bauhaus. But yeah. then I add sort of Bauhaus to it. See, now I know what Bauhaus is. Right. Um, but I actually spend a lot of time where I ask my students from Croatia or from mm-hmm. Azerbaijan, you know, like what's happening there. You yeah. know, that we're able to start really looking at design cultures as being like much more, much more juxtaposed and we can learn from each other right i mean I, I i tend to try to really break that down but that's because everybody else on the faculty really pushes yeah the german sensibility of design oh interesting i have just a couple more questions just to kind of start to wrap everything up and one of them is kind of what we were just talking about i'm interested in you know you mentioned having an itch or an interest in in kind of designing again and so I'm curious how these last you know couple years or or, you know I guess five or six years that you've kind of been in this other world how has that changed a how you think about graphic design and then b your own design process or you know if you go kind of back into this how are you different, or how do you approach it different? How would you approach it differently now? I, I think I'm a little bit in a in a like privileged situation that like if I were to be designing again, I think I would do it on a like it's almost like a personal level, or it would be with mm. you know it would be in a context where 
I am with other people responsible for the content and the writing yeah. and the concept. So, you know, like my own self-publishing kind of context. Oh, okay. Yeah. That I and I or I could I could sort of see in the right context of people, you know, coming in on a consulting level would be right. like super interesting okay. to me. And yeah. actually I've that had makes an opportunity sense. to do that on some of it. I think a lot of the design, the way my my interest in looking at design again. I mean, I'm always looking at design, but what I tend to really be attracted to are the things that um, there's like slippages and they sort of bother me because something isn't working right. And I then it's like, well, why did this happen? And and, mm. and it's not about like, you know, designer books, but it's more looking at, um, well, no, I do think, I think there's a lot of sort of contemporary stuff that's coming out there that makes us a little uncomfortable. Yeah. And I'm more interested in being uncomfortable in something and seeing people test mm -hmm. sort of yeah. risk taking. Or I like my design to be incredibly just incredibly invisible and simple so that I like like all this schnick schnack is like a German word. It's like all the little like it's like get it get okay. rid of yeah. all of yeah. it and yeah. just let it hold huh. what the content is. You know, there's, yeah. some, there's something and that's not totally true. But can, yeah, can that even, is that even possible? No, but it's more, it's probably coming through, um, I've become less tolerant of sort of when design sort of feels superfluous and it just sort of, like mm. the things are getting laid on top and I want to be oh. like, yeah. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. And <laughs> maybe that's because I feel like it's out of a lack of, um, self-awareness of the role of design yeah you know, if i can feel like what is there is really the bare minimum like what is it like if this letter would have been shorter if i'd had more time right right, right yeah that's like if you actually are spending the time and looking at it uh -huh. and the idea that you pare it down yeah which is kind of going yeah. back to you know it kind of goes back to i don't know what it does it kind of goes back to something that i maybe resisted for a long time yeah. I think I liked these weird experiments where things would happen. I'm not really answering the question. No, I mean you 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 are the the thing that I kind of thought you were going to go into is I was kind of interested in and I'm kind of tying this back to one of the very first things that you said actually sure. about kind of when you discovered design in Michigan and you used this phrase that I really liked of it felt like you were giving your ideas form or yeah, something structure. like that structure so it's like a it's choreography yeah and so um, I, I thought you i was expecting some sort of tie to that of thinking i feel like now now there's this we've been talking about this kind of very i don't even know the word but you you're you're talking about design not in formal yeah. ways and so I was curious how that could manifest itself in the creation of form. If now we, with that okay, if we were to go back to like sort of sort of the idea of structure and choreography, right? Yeah. So really, really quickly, like there is, in, you know, in choreography, there is sort of these fields where it's like the minimal, the everyday, the mundane. Yeah. You know, where you're not about. It's not about technique and virtuosity. It's really like the Yvonne Rainier and the and a lot of this Judson Street. It's okay. really about you know opening and closing hands and, and oh, you know, real oh, gestural yeah, yeah. and um and where I feel like where I was as a dancer thirty years ago or twenty five years ago was more technical and now I'm actually really inter interested in the like everyday movement mm. that even a non-designer or a non-dancer or a non-observer yeah. you know finds meaning in and then finding a structure for that to exist in but that structure is less choreographed and right. structured and it's perhaps just more thoughtful and more present yeah that's so abstract, but it sort of makes sense to yeah. me as no, I'm I know sort what of you articulating mean. this. Yeah. So I think about, um, you know, bringing people together and creating something that's a little bit improvisational, like, oh, let's, you know, you write, you write, I'll write, we'll all write, and it'll, it'll land on this thing, and it'll be meaningful relationship, it'll be meaningful writing, and then we will figure out collectively how to make it into an interesting form. Right. 
Right. Because we're really present and because yeah. we're, and it's, but, and it's not. And that goes back to your original kind of design education and, and this idea of kind of working through the process and wanting to facilitate things actually yeah, in, like in an interesting way. I don't like, I, I've never been, I don't like to be by myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sounding boards, like talking things through like this. Yeah. This is really helpful. Oh, good. It's really interesting. Good. I have two more questions. Uh, I'm interested in your perspective as a visual anthropologist, as a researcher, as a educator, um, someone who leads workshops. What are the issues or topics or subjects in graphic in contemporary graphic design that are maybe under theorized or need kind of a uh, spotlight shown on them that kind of contemporary practicing designers should be thinking about and talking about? It's a really good question. The thing that comes to my mind, I think I go back to this, that the designer, you know, the, 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 the designer is like, is, how do I say this? There's something about self-reflexivity. Mm -hmm. I feel like students have a hard time owning their their position in the process huh. that they yeah. either really prioritize it or they run away from it and there's something in that in-between thing that says I have to con I have to constantly be negotiating who I am in this process that's so interesting yeah um, and I and I you know coming out of the workshop, now you know that I the students who make things so personal that you're 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 losing kind of a global you know universal sort of understanding and people who are making it it almost feel like they like this their idea is in another room yeah that and the inability to articulate that in both of those situations it's really about the self I think yeah. that it's not about navel gazing but it's also not mm -hmm. I mean I don't know if I'm that feels like it's something that is really hard to get at. Yeah. Um, and then actually, like, a lot of it, I think a lot of it is the younger generation is coming up at a time, you know, where you can talk about, I mean, it's unbelievable to me, sort of these basic things of, like, what's anti-apartheid and what yeah. is, you know, sort of, like, there are there are things that were, I mean, now I sound like an old fart, but there are these things that were really important to me. And, I mean, there's lots of these things that, that you had to grapple with that were like ethical questions right. or that they were, they were, they were fights and designers sort of had a, they had a, mm -hmm. a, a an assumed role in that. Yeah. Even in the nineties at art center somehow, somehow, I mean, yeah. maybe superficially <laughs> in my own right. crowd. And I still think, I think even now with my international students, it's like it has the, the desire to get that degree and to be able to, to work. Mm. Sort of ignores the, the the designer as as a cultural producer. Right. It's that cultural production. Right. And that you know all these things are being made. They rush to kind of understand the entrepreneurial or yeah. the commercial context, which is needed. I'm not yeah. critical. No, of that, I know. So. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. I I'm. I I know I struggle with as a designer and even as as a podcaster I guess in thinking about my relationship to my work and those two pillars that you're talking about I feel like I'm I bounce between them and have a hard time finding that that middle ground um, and even in, I, I even in it, this I think it ha like actually as we say this I think it has to do with observation you know it has to do with like we have to be citizens in the world we have to go out and do things we're not comfortable doing and yeah. go to things that we don't know anything about and meet people that are different than us and now we're back at the anthropologist who's like you know yeah. in yeah. in you know sort of like a foreign place that that disjuncture between who I am as a person or as a creative or as a designer or as a whoever I am or as an american in the role where I have one hand tied behind my back and I don't really understand uh -huh. everything and I'm that disorientation teaches one to be 
everything the teachers want to understand that everything mm -hmm. is relevant the unspectacular mm -hmm. and the you yeah. know the, the minute and the yeah and that then the, you can go back to this practice and just be a little bit more tuned in right and i think yeah i think that's okay <laughs> yeah 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 yeah, yeah. It's about it's and that that I think it's 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 observation. Right. It's yeah. just being tuned in. To I mean, like it comes what's it comes back to what you're talking about, where where research now I put research in quotes can be watching a YouTube video or you know you can find anything online, and that's different than experiencing it, than doing it, than well, it's different than asking people. Like yeah. I can I can look it up or I can ask people or I can interview people but that next level and I think I don't know I think some of it has to do with discomfort like yeah. it has to do with like go into situations that are uncomfortable and yeah. you will learn not only something about that thing you will learn something about yourself yeah yeah and so, that's, like, that's I mean, sort of the key I think of what I got up out of the ethnographic kind of methodology is you have to like you have to learn a language and you don't right, know the language right. you have to go not right know. that leads perfectly actually into my final question <laughs> thank you which i at the risk of being a bit reductive i'm curious for designers you know practitioners who are interested in this way of thinking about design and visual culture uh you know aside from you know just doing that, like what we were talking about, just kind of experiencing those things, where should someone look to kind of start thinking about that? You know, whether that's kind of books or films or, or things, like what are good entry points into this way um, of thinking? You know, there's some really kind of interesting people and they've, they've overlapped into the art world. I mean, Hal Foster oh, yeah. writes some really nice yeah. stuff and he has that, like, that artist and the, the artist as ethnographer and he's quite critical of the role oh, of ethnography with art. But I could say designer, like I like that text because I can just remove artist yeah. and put designer yeah. in there and it has something interesting. Um, Paul Stoller is an American um, anthropologist who has a text called Sensuous Scholarship Okay. that actually really is very, it was very influential in kind of talking with this language about the senses and the sensual, but all the embodiment of un like we understand things uh, in yeah, a large part yeah. because of our experience of being there. Right. Tim Ingold um, has this great like ways of wayfinding and ways of that seeing and familiar. ways of knowing and ways of, and he does. He looks at like the Inuit and he looks at all these sort of like you know exotic okay. cultural kind of references, but from a design standpoint, it it really like in terms of looking at like orientation systems and wayfinding uh, things like what can we actually borrow that actually helps us understand right. that's been influential um you know there's there's uh i mean john woosh you can go back mm. to the french filmmaker who is yeah. the classic he is the kind okay. of godfather of visual anthropology and like chronicle okay. of a summer okay. is a really great film chronicle of chronicle of, of, a, of a summer, summer. of a okay. summer it's in french and it is extremely experimental. It's quite surreal, but it is the classic film text of uh, visual anthropology. Interesting. And okay. it's very provocative, and it's very evocative. And yeah, he, yeah. he walks the streets of Paris, and it's the summer of 1960-something. <laughs> yeah. And it's political, and it's, I mean, it's nostalgic in quite a beautiful way. But anything that Jean Rouge has written or, or um, anything written about him, I think he's extremely influential. Yeah, okay. Because some of it's highly associative. Um about cultural representation, and I think it's a lot of it's really relevant to the design, okay. to the design, uh, like the, the, the making of texts, yeah, yeah, image text language. Sarah Pink is a British writer who that writes a lot about familiar. it, and she doing visual ethnography, and she's actually one of the only people who's really writing about the role of like wall texts to this image that you make or the role uh, of, I mean, she kind of starts to pull design, but actually there's very little 
written. That's what I think is interesting. Design, yeah. like visual anthropology doesn't really look at design. And yeah. design really only borrows from ethnography when you are like an IDEO and you need to understand, you know. <laughs> right, right. Like Starbucks hires a, yeah, like, yeah, a, like, a, yeah. like a visual anthropologist to like figure out, you know, yeah. how does the Starbucks culture right. in Paris want their coffees delivered. Yeah. Like that tends to be the role of ethnography right. in design at the moment. Right. This has been so great. I'm me. so glad. I was very I, uncertain I know. if I could speak to design. I know. Criticism. No, I feel like this was so interesting to me on multiple levels and has me thinking about a lot of things that I had not thought about in a specific in this specific way before. And I feel like you've helped me make some connections that I hadn't made before. So thank you so much for this conversation. This You're was welcome. so interesting. This would be called also like elicitation. Like you have totally gotten me to think through things. Oh, just good. Just by sticking this big microphone in the room that like made me say things that I didn't This episode was recorded on April 15th, 2017 in Baltimore, Maryland. Our theme music is by Andy Borgasani. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Surface Podcast. You can find us on iTunes and SoundCloud and at scratchingthesurface.fm. Thanks for listening. Thank you.